I love that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. All I have needed, your hands have provided strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And if there's one thing that we've seen through the book of Numbers, it is God's faithfulness. That even when the people were unfaithful, God did not give up his plan. He did not give up his promises. He continues to be faithfulness. That's why we sing that to him. That's why we love him for that. Because it's who he is and he is faithful. And I don't know about you, but whenever I finish a book of the Bible, especially when we've done it together like this, and especially when we've done it for this long, like I love to go back and just kind of flip through the pages and try to remember what has God been teaching me over the last 10 months? So if you've been here for the whole journey, can you remember all the way back to January? What was, what was God teaching you in January? Or how about mid-March? What was that thing mid-March that you walked out of here just feeling like, that was for me, God? Like, no guilt trip, I can't remember. So it's really helpful for me to just kind of flip back through the chapters and say, oh yeah, there was that thing that God did that he taught me and I remember that. And so I thought that'd be kind of a fun way to start this last week of Numbers, just to remember all of the things that God has been doing. Because if you can think all the way back to January, remember in the first four chapters how Chad outlined for us that the very way that their camp was laid out was probably in the shape of a cross. One early indication that just like the New Testament says, all of the Old Testament is foreshadowing Jesus Christ. And that right at the center of their camp was the tabernacle, the very presence of God. And as we move through this book, it actually isn't just one wilderness. There were three wildernesses. They began in the wilderness of Sinai, which was a wilderness of preparation that God wanted to teach them what it was going to take to live like his people in the promised land. And having not quite gotten the message, they also moved through the wilderness of Paran. This was a wilderness of testing with one more lap around the wilderness. Okay, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but, see, but you remember. You remember. You just, I think every time I see a whistle for the rest of my life, I'm going to think there's something I didn't learn the first time. I need one more lap. God is teaching me something that he wants me to hold on to. It's going to be good for me, but he's not going to move me forward until I've learned it because he knows I need this. And he's faithful to keep teaching. They moved from there to the wilderness of Moab. That was a wilderness of temptation where they gave in specifically to the sexual temptation and saw how damaging it was not only for them, but for the entire community. We actually saw that it was through the words of a donkey that we learn how to actually listen to God, to want what God wants and not what we want, to follow God's lead. In fact, through all of those wildernesses, they could follow his lead because he had a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud that if it moved, they moved, and if it stopped, they stopped. And I love how Chad put it when he taught that week, that God was asking them to follow him anywhere, anytime, and at any pace. That sometimes it would be still for days at a time, and sometimes it was like overnight, it's time to move again. But that no matter when it moved, we would follow God. And wherever it stopped, they would put that tabernacle, and in the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant. A reminder of all of God's promises and God's very presence. That he was not contained in the box, but that he gave them this ark as a sign of his redemption, his atonement. And inside were the Ten Commandments. Reminders of God's law, how they were called to live, and of God's promises and the blessing that would follow. 
Some of the other things that end up inside there, for example, like Aaron's rod. You know, we saw how a dead piece of wood sprung into new life. How God was highlighting that there is only one high priest who stands in the gap to save the people from death. Again, an obvious foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Our great high priest who stands in the gap to save us from sin and death. We saw the blue tassel that God actually gave his people an outward mark to wear. A reminder that they are set apart for him. That how we live our lives in holiness matters. Not only for us, but because it shows the people around us that there's something different about people who follow the one true God. We saw the red heifer. The red heifer that is only spoken of here in Numbers, but referred to in Hebrews when it says that we don't actually need one because if the ashes of the heifer could purify you, how much more? Jesus Christ. And so even as people in Israel today are hoping to find another red heifer, we know that it's already fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We also saw one of my favorites, snake on a stick. The bronze serpent. I know, I know. But snake on a stick is so fun to say. And it's my last chance for a little while. But this is the one that of all the places in the Bible, when Jesus is going to explain how he's going to the cross to save us, when he spoke John 3.16, perhaps the most familiar verse in the entire world, Jesus points to numbers and snake on a stick. That when they were dying from a plague, God told Moses, you put this bronze serpent on a dead piece of wood, you hold it up, and whoever does what God says and looks on this thing will be saved. Jesus says, that's what I'm going to be like. I will be lifted up on a piece of wood that whoever looks at me, whoever hears God's word and believes in his son will be saved. Jesus even points to numbers and in numbers 29 we saw the feast of trumpets which actually was just a couple weeks ago on our own calendar that the blowing of the trumpets would remind them of the need for repentance but it also pointed forward to the day of atonement the fact that with that repentance comes a promise of forgiveness when we turn back to God and that these very trumpets that signal repentance and atonement forgiveness through God's sacrifice, foreshadowed Jesus Christ. And that it is the sound of the trumpet that we're listening for when Christ will return. So I didn't blow the whistle, but I'm going to try this one for you. If you hear it, look up. Because he has promised that he will return, and we know that great is his faithfulness. So after all of these signs and all of these wonders and all of these sounds and all of these sights, Numbers 36 is the final chapter of this book. So what's going to happen? Well, actually, I want to read you the entire chapter. It's one of the shorter chapters in the book, and it is not at all what I would expect as the grand finale after all of that. So hang with me as I read this to you, because I think as we unpack it, you're actually going to see that some of the simplicity of what happens in this chapter makes it a very fitting conclusion to this book, even as it rolls right into Deuteronomy, right, which we learned a couple weeks ago is like Moses' big final speech, and right into the book of Joshua, where they enter the promised land. So this won't be on screen for you, but if you've got your Bible, flip open to Numbers 36, or pull that up in your Bible app. 
It says, Now the chief fathers of the families of the children of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Joseph, came near and spoke before Moses and before the leaders, the chief fathers of the children of Israel. So basically, the chief leaders of the tribe of Joseph come to the chief leaders of Moses and all the other tribes, right? So they've got a concern that they want to bring up. And they said, The Lord commanded my Lord Moses to give the land as an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of our brother Zelophehad to his daughters. Right? So we saw that back in chapter 27. Since Zelophehad had no sons, God said, well, of course, his daughters can inherit his land. Now, if they are married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the children of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our fathers and it will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. So it will be taken from the lot of our inheritance. And when the jubilee of the children of Israel comes, then their inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. So their inheritance will be taken away from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers. So they've got this concern about the way the land is apportioned. And if God said it's supposed to be this way, but they marry somebody else, now it transfers to their husband, then, then it's going to be taken away. How does that work? So Moses commanded the children of Israel, saying, according to the word of the Lord, saying, what the tribe of the sons of Joseph speaks is right. This then is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, saying, let them marry whom they think best, but they may marry only within the families of their father's tribe. So the inheritance of the children of Israel shall not change hands from tribe to tribe, for every one of the children of Israel shall keep the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter, right, like these women, every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be the wife of one of the family of her father's tribe, so that the children of Israel each may possess the inheritance of his fathers. So here's the point God's making in verse 9. Thus, no inheritance shall change hands from one tribe to another, but every tribe of the children of Israel shall keep its own inheritance. Now get this, just as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of Zelophehad. For Mala, Tirzah, Hogla, Milcah, and Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad, were married to the sons of their father's brothers. They were married into the families of the children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of their father's family. So we've got fire tornadoes, right? We, we've got trumpets. We've got miracle sticks and tabernacles. And the last thing to bring it all together is a land dispute. Where do we draw the lines? And what if they take some of our land? That is, there's got to be, hold on. Nope, next page says Deuteronomy. That's it. But here's what I want you to notice. As you read through this chapter, there are basically three main movements. There is the concern brought forward, the response of Moses, and the response of the daughters. And all three of them in verse 2, 6, and 10 center around this phrase, the Lord commanded. I actually think this is what makes it such a fitting conclusion to the book of Numbers. Because why did we wander in the wilderness for 40 years? Because we wouldn't do what the Lord commanded. All the way through this book, we see them disobey and complain and disobey and complain. And like most of this book, we get a lot of detail about like the first couple years and a lot of detail about the last few months. 
And then there's like 38 years in between that we know almost nothing about as they're just taking these laps around the wilderness, learning that lesson and waiting for a generation to die out. But here, in chapter 36, what we're finally going to see is the Lord commands something, so they do it. And I think in a big way, that's what has them ready to move into the promised land, to follow his lead in obedience and begin to experience his blessing. So if you actually look at verses 1 and 2, you see that happen right there. The Lord commanded. If you look at chapter 1, verse 1, it actually says that God's been doing this all along. He's been speaking in the wilderness the whole time. But if you jump to 36, verses 1 and 2, you see that when the Lord commanded this, notice what they're not doing. They're not complaining. Right? Other times they complain against Moses, they rebel against God. This time they actually come to God through his mediator, Moses, and they're speaking to God about his own words. God, this is what you said. You promised us that the land would be divided this way. And so you notice the incredible respect they have. The Lord commanded my Lord. Now, if you didn't know this, there are actually two Hebrew words that in English get translated as Lord. You can see them at the bottom here. Yahweh and Adonai. So when you see Lord in all capital letters in your English translation, that is the very name of God. Yahweh. And so every time it's capital letters, that's God's name, Yahweh. The other one that we see is Adonai, and that's a little bit more like my liege, my master, my lord. So it's very respectful, and it is often used of God. You will see it used of God a lot in the Old Testament, and when it is, the first letter is capitalized and the rest of them are small. Here, because it's used of a human being, Moses, right, instead of complaining against Moses, they're showing him great respect. So it's all lowercase. My Adonai Moses is not at the same level as my Adonai Yahweh. And, and fun trivia fact, if you've ever heard the word Jehovah, the way we get that is actually the consonants of Yahweh with the vowels of Adonai. Because when the Jews would write out God's name, they believed that it was too holy to actually write the whole thing. So they would take the consonants of Yahweh, the vowels of Adonai, that's what they would write in and if you pronounce it, it, it actually wasn't a real word, but it comes out like Jehovah. So I know your friends are going to ask you this afternoon. <laughs> so I thought I should probably give you that little, you're going to win the trivia game this afternoon, I promise. But what I want you to see is how respectful they are and how everything that they're saying is based around what God has already said. In fact, in the next two verses, when they bring up the both of the halves of their concern in verses three and four, that's really why. Because if God has promised this, but then these circumstances don't line up. Well, then here's the question. What do we do when our circumstances seem to undermine God's promise? What do we do when we know he said this, but I'm not feeling it? Like life is hard, life is ugly, things are painful, stuff has changed. Is what God said is true still true? And so in verses 3 and 4, the way they break this down is the first concern is, we appreciate that God has given these daughters an ability for an inheritance. That's verse 3. But if they get married, well, then now it still is going to go through the husband's lineage, and so that's going to change from one tribe to the other. But the second part of that is what they call, if, if you actually look, go ahead and pull up verse 4 again. The other thing is what they call the jubilee. Now, there's not any detail about it here, but if you jump into Horizon's app, 
and you tap book by book, we have done Leviticus. And you can go to Leviticus 25. There's a ton of detail. Either just read that chapter or listen to that message about what the Jubilee is all about. But here's the shorthand version of it. The Jubilee would happen every 50 years. So they would count off seven years, seven years, seven years, seven years of sevens, and then, that's 49, the 50th year was the Jubilee. And the Jubilee was special. That was a time of joy, and that was a time of liberty. Because what would happen is, the slaves would be set free. Anybody who had indentured themselves as a servant was let off. They, they were out of it. They were, they were free again. All debts were canceled, not reduced, not renegotiated, not refinanced, just canceled, completely wiped out when you hit that 50th year. Yeah, you better believe people are looking forward to Jubilee. Dude, how many more years till Jubilee? How many more years till Jubilee? How many more years? It's Jubilee! Right? That's why we hear that word and you just think joy. And that included the land. If the land had been sold in the year of Jubilee, it would return to its original owner. So it was just this time of incredible joy and freedom. In fact, I didn't know this until I was at the Bible Museum a couple, I guess it was a couple of years ago now, but our Liberty Bell here in the United States has Leviticus 25.10 inscribed at the top of it, which literally says, proclaim liberty throughout the land. That verse is from the Jubilee. And that bell was not originally called the Liberty Bell. It took on that name because of this Bible verse that is inscribed into it. And so this actually becomes a foreshadowing for us of Jesus Christ. You see this? Because in Jesus Christ, if he is our jubilee, then our debts are canceled. Not reduced, not renegotiated, not refinanced. I'm not trying to like work out a payment plan with God. Jesus says, sins forgiven, taken away, debt canceled. And we are the slaves set free from sin and death. And that's a promise that God makes in Jesus Christ, just like it was a promise that he made to his people. But the concern for them in this chapter is, wait a minute though, if they marry that guy, and so now the land is gone, well, I could buy the land back from him, well, but then at Jubilee, it's going to revert back to him again. And so I still have this problem. I've got this promise from God, but I've got this circumstance of life, and they don't seem to be fitting together. But I love that what they're doing in this passage, when they come across that problem, their response is to go talk to God about his own words. And it reminded me, it just really hit me as I was going through this chapter, because a few years ago I was hanging out with my friend Ray, and Ray is one of these guys that just like, he just feels like he's on another spiritual plane or something. I mean, just his, his relationship with God is so strong. His wisdom is just like always available. I love just spending time around Ray, and it's one of those like, I hope I grow up to be like Ray someday, you know? And one of the things that just always struck me about him, th this will sound weird, but I'll, I'll explain it. Ray is great at praying. And I don't mean like, thy mighty father and God from on high. You know, not like flowery language or like fancy things he memorized as a kid. What I mean is, it just seemed like it was very natural for him. That when he prays, it sounds a lot like when he talks to me. It's just he's talking to God as if God was here the whole time. Why wouldn't we include him in the conversation? And so I remember sitting down with Ray and, and just kind of asking him, like, because don't we all feel that way? Like, how do you pray? Am I praying the right things? Is it, do I just get a list of, like, 
here's who's sick and here's who's in the hospital. Is that it? Are there other pieces to this? Please don't make me pray in front of other people. Like prayer can feel a little unwieldy. So I said, Ray, what's the secret, right? What's the, what's the special sauce? How do you do this? And uh, what he showed me was that what he learned was just to pray God's words back to him. And so he actually, he gave me this little book. It's called Handbook to Prayer. Yeah, so all the tips, all the outlines, all the stuff, then I won't have to think about it anymore, right? I can just do whatever this says. But here's the subtitle, Praying Scripture Back to God. And so literally all that's in here is like three months worth of stuff, no commentary, just Scripture, set into a few categories for each day. And it's literally like I'm looking at day four, second month, Isaiah 40 just praying this piece of Isaiah 40 back to God. Hey God, if if you said this, then this is my prayer today. This is what I celebrate you for today. This is what I give you thanks for today. And so what Ray was teaching me was that when I'm not sure what to pray, what better thing than to just pray God's word back to him? And, And that was so transformative for me. And I feel like that's something that I haven't used this booklet for a while now. I probably did it for two or three years straight. But just learning that rhythm means that now anything I read, all through the book of Numbers even, you just find something. You say, God, if that's what you were doing in that chapter, then I want to pray that back to you. And that's exactly what they're doing here. They're saying in Numbers 36, here is what God said. So we're bringing this back to God. We're counting on his great faithfulness for the things that he promised. And so Moses responds to them, what we're going to learn, what they were learning, the Lord will be faithful to his promises and our jubilee. He will be faithful. Even if we don't see how these things fit together, God knows exactly what he's doing. And so in verses 5 and 6, you notice again, the response is what the Lord commands. It's what the Lord commands. Everything here is based on what God has said. Their concern The solution, the response, everything based on what the Lord commands. And so in the next few verses, as God lays it out, he essentially says, here's what we're going to do. And what I love about this is God already knew the answer. So they've got a little bit of information, right? They've got this promise. They know what God said about the land. They've got this circumstance that doesn't line up. But here's what you got to love about God. God doesn't hit that moment and say, oh shoot, I should not have said that in chapter 27. I did not think this through. Given women's rights to property, what was I thinking? Um, You never have to worry that he's going to undo chapter 27 because he didn't quite realize where this was going, right? What they find out is God already has a plan, even if they didn't know it, even if it's different than what they expect, that holds all of these things together, even when the circumstances of life don't look like they match up. And so here God says, let them marry whom they think best, but they may marry only within the family of their father's tribe. So there's sort of a sense in which they don't actually have to marry at all, right? And then the, family, the, the, the land would stay in their tribe. But if they want to marry, marry whoever you want, but marry from this tribe so that the land stays here. And that's essentially how he explains it in verse 9. Thus, no inheritance shall change hands from one tribe to another, but every tribe of the children of Israel shall keep its own inheritance. So as messy as this chart looks to us, like this is what God told them, and this is how he wanted it to be, and when they thought it couldn't work out the way God said, 
he says, relax, I'm way ahead of you. I didn't tell you this piece yet, but this is the plan. It all holds together. He will keep his promises. He will be faithful to our jubilee. Now, probably, I, I could be wrong, probably very few of us, wherever you're joining us today, are dealing with a land dispute later this afternoon. If you are, great passage to pray back to God, I guess, right? But the truth is, we have a lot of experiences and a lot of circumstances in our lives that feel like they don't line up with what we thought God had told us. And a lot of them are a lot heavier, a lot more painful than just like, does my property go this far or that far, or does he get some of my property? And I know many of you, over the course of this last year, as we've been going through numbers, have shared those kinds of stories and some of the challenges that you've been facing. Some of the places where you want to trust and you want to sing, great is thy faithfulness. And you wonder, can I still sing? Strength for today, please God. And bright hope for tomorrow. Is his faithfulness great to me in the middle of this? And one of those was just, just a couple of weeks ago, right here in this room, we had a celebration of life for Helen Bradley. And if you've ever met Bob and Helen, they're, they're just around here all the time, um, greeting and, and ushering, uh, passing out our communion elements when we celebrate that together. And just absolutely the sweetest couple. Um, like literally, I know this can sound cheesy, but Bob and Helen are the kind of people that like when my wife and I talked about this, it's like, we got to learn how to love each other the way Bob and Helen love each other. <laughs> like, that is beautiful. And man, if you could put up with me the way Helen puts up with Bob, that would be awesome. <laughs> and honestly, if we could love Jesus the way that Bob and Helen love Jesus, like, that's what I'm aiming for. Just, just a wonderful couple. And so losing Helen has been really hard because she had a difficult surgery that she kind of came through okay, but an infection followed it and ultimately she passed away. And so as we spent time in this room celebrating her life, the last person to speak was Bob. And so I asked him if I could share this with you today because it's just been so profound for me. And if, if you know Bob, um, I, he knows that I describe him this way. So this is with all due respect that Bob is like the silliest person I've ever met. <laughs> and I love him for it. And, and he stood up at the end of this service. He stood right here, center of this stage. He says, my name is Bob, and I'm an addict. And I'm sitting over on this bench. I'm like, that is not where I thought this was going today. <laughs> but hi, Bob. You know, I know how this is supposed to go, I think. He said, I've been addicted to Helen for 60 years. And he went on to just tell this incredible story of their friendship and their marriage and their love and their love for Christ and how they've tried to share that with their family and their friends. But he also shared how through this whole thing he'd been praying for a miracle. And we all had. And we've been joining in and, and, and God, the miracle we're asking for is heal Helen and bring her home. And so when Helen passed away, the reason that Bob wanted to share that day was because the enemy came after him. Because spiritual warfare is real. And the enemy tried to whisper things to Bob that are not true. Hey, maybe God's not faithful after all. Maybe it's your fault. Maybe you didn't pray hard enough. And these kinds of thoughts that the enemy would put in our heads to undermine our faith in the God we love. But Bob shared that as he continued to pray, he decided, 
I'm not going to give into that. I'm going to fight back. Right? You want to pray scripture back to God? Go pray Ephesians 6 and put that armor on. When you realize you've got a breastplate of righteousness, a helmet of salvation, God gave it to you. You didn't have to make your own. You have a shield of faith to defend against that enemy. And Bob said as he fought back, the Holy Spirit showed him that he had been given miracles. Maybe not how he expected, but that the promises of God were true. That when you read things in Psalm 103, like he forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases. Helen is fully forgiven and fully healed and enjoying her jubilee right now. And in fact, that jubilee doesn't have to wait until we get to heaven. Because if jubilee means that my debt is canceled, my sins are forgiven, and I'm set free, that happens the moment you put your saving faith in Jesus Christ as your forgiver and your king. That jubilee starts right now and extends for eternity. And Bob described how, I I think he said he actually saw four miracles like that along the way where he realized God had answered exactly the promises that we knew from his word and that we had been praying over Helen and that he even had a moment before she passed where he felt like God had given him a vision of what her risen body would look like until we see her again. So we miss her. But we know that we're going to share that jubilee forever because God is faithful to his promises and to our jubilee. And I think a lot of times it's experiences like that that feel a lot heavier than like, hey, that guy bought one of my lots and I didn't get it back. Right? It doesn't seem to carry the same emotional weight. And yet it's the same God in any one of those moments when I have this promise but I have this circumstance that he is the one who stands to fill in that gap, to keep those promises, and to remain faithful. And that's why I love, as you come back to this chapter of Numbers, in verses 10 to 12, we, we get the daughter's response. And I don't know what I expected, because it says, marry whoever you want from this tribe. And yeah, marry whoever I want, yeah, right. Oh man, are we going to grumble? Are we going to complain again? So I love this. As the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of Zelophehad. And you know what? As soon as I read that, it was like, I don't know what I expected. Because every time that we've seen these women in this book, Mala, Tirzah, Hagla, Milcah, and Noah, they are always so on track with what God is thinking and what God is doing. They come to him with concerns and yet great respect. Like, of course, at the end of the book, it's these five women who demonstrate obedience. That instead of saying, that's not fair, or well, what about this? Or, well, I have a different idea, God. Can we try mine first? They're just like, okay, if that's what the Lord commands, let's obey. It's a beautiful way to step into his blessing. And I know that in the middle of this chunk, there's kind of this weird thing, right? Because it says, they were married to the sons of their father's brothers. So, I don't know. You guys do what you want with that. Let's, let's look at something else. Okay, no. I brought it up because this is the stuff that you got to hit on for a second, right? So, is that just, so they marry their cousins. Is that like God's okay with that? Or is that like this was long enough ago? Is this one of those weird things? So here I think is part of what's going on. The word that is translated father's brothers, okay, so the sons of their father's brothers, that word is sometimes translated uncle based on the context, but it also shows up in Song of Solomon, 
So if you ever heard that phrase, I am my beloved's and he is mine, beloved is the same word in a situation where it clearly does not mean uncle, it means husband. So it's probably one of these things that happens in the Hebrew where we have so many different words for different family and extended family relationships. They have like a couple vague words. So this word probably means something more like loved one, which probably means something more like family or extended family or possibly even tribesmen, that it's just affirming, yeah, from their father's brothers, you know, all the guys from that tribe, which at this point was into the hundreds of thousands. Yes, they, they found a beloved from that tribe. They obeyed God's word. And I think that's really the focus here, is that the concern comes based on God's word, the response is God's word, and the obedience is to God's word. And I think the question that it begs for us then is, will I obey and enjoy the Lord? Because that's what they're ready for. They're ready to take hold of the promise because they're walking forward in obedience. And I think in a lot of ways, that really becomes like the core question of the entire book. Because when you get to the New Testament, we've, we've kind of seen this all the way through, but like Hebrews is talking about numbers nonstop. You see Jesus talking about numbers. Like it comes up time and time again about this season of their history. And one of my favorites We've seen a couple times from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. It says, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So he's telling us to a Gentile audience in the New Testament, numbers was for you. And I hope it has been. I hope there are things that you have taken from it and learned from it. Because really, the, the reason that we're here at Horizon you don't have to memorize this, but I've tried to. To comfortably connect people to God through the Bible and a community of growing Christ followers. All right, so the most important thing we're doing is trying to help each other connect to God, to understand his word, to know his promise, to talk to him. And that the way we do that is through his word, which is why as much as I love like like verse of the day email that comes to your inbox and hey, that gives me something at least that I can hang on to today. That's good. That's good. But man, when you actually dig into a book verse by verse and see the story that God is telling, that's different. There's power in this book. That's why we study this book together to help us get to know God. These are the pages he's given us so we know who he is, what he said, what we can count on him for and pray back to him. And we do that with other people with a community of growing Christ followers. And notice it's growing, right? Because we could probably do a little bit of growing right now while we're listening. But a lot of it, honestly, it's, it's not in this room. It's not during this message. It's like when I take that and I go live it out and how other people help us do that. And so one of the things I would encourage you, every week with the equipping message, we put together something called a pathway. It's on the app too, but there's also a hard copy that you get handed if you're here in the building that just has a few questions, a few prompts for how to kind of try it, actually live it out, not just apply it, but actually do something with it, and some prayer prompts. And then every week, there's also uh, Sunday afternoon, a pathway video that is released through the website that you can also get in your email. And that's great just for self-study to reflect on it more during the week. That's great to like take a friend out to coffee, talk through this stuff together. Uh, but right now, next week, we start Philippians. And we have all kinds of different group studies 
that are planning to take the Philippians series, use this pathway, and just dig deeper into God's word together. So if you've ever thought about being a part of a group study here at Horizon, this is a fantastic time to jump in because all of those are getting into Philippians in the next week or two. So please, 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 if you're interested in that at all, come and talk to me. I would love to help you find that. I'm in a couple myself. You might even be able to join me. Um, It's a lot of fun, and it's a great way to grow as we dig into God's word together. So you ready for the last verse? I didn't read it to you yet. You ready for the last verse of Numbers? Verse 13 of chapter 36 says, These are the commandments and the judgments which the Lord commanded. There it is again. Commanded the children of Israel by the hand of Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. They are right there, ready to step into the promised land. And so I wonder, what what is your key takeaway from like the entire book of Numbers? What's that thing that God's been teaching you? I, I tried to pin this down. I don't know if I quite got it, but this was my attempt for myself. Live the Lord's word. Enjoy the Lord's blessing. Live the Lord's word. Enjoy the Lord's blessing. Right, that he's teaching us to obey so that we can experience the goodness that he has for us. And so maybe for you, Numbers has been a wilderness of testing. And maybe you've been going through some test that maybe he's preparing you for something. I would just encourage you this week, pray his promises back to him as he helps you pass that test. And maybe for you it's been a wilderness of temptation. And maybe there's something that God has identified for you over these last few months that you need to repent of, and you have been. Hey, this week, like every day this week, make it your prayer to God that he would give you his Holy Spirit's power to continue to resist that temptation. Or maybe for you it's been a wilderness of preparation, that there's some new way that God has put on your heart to serve or to share, to pass his hope to another person. This week, would you pray that he gives you the courage to follow through? So for our closing prayer today, how about if I pray scripture back to God? I would love to do this for you. And as you hear it, hear this also for your family, many of them who are elsewhere in this building right now, for your children and for future generations. So let's pray right out of Numbers 6, 24 to 27. Lord, bless us and keep us. Make your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. Lord, we pray that you would lift your countenance up upon us and give us peace. Put your name on us as your children and bless us, O Lord. We thank you for your promises and your great faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here with us this week. And I got to invite you back for Philippians starting next week. A lot of great history, a lot of big joy. We'll see you next week for Philippians.